I'm Odette Youssef, WBEZ's Northside Bureau reporter. It's time for a series we call Curious City. It's where we answer your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. Up ahead, we answer a question about an iconic logo seen on Chicago's silver screens. But first, a story about one of the grandest spaces in town that no one's using anymore, the Uptown Theater. We got a question about how it can be reused, so we did our best to gather ideas. I would love to see, you know, a winter farmer's market here. Concerts, movies, art. After this brief intermission, hear how the Uptown Theater hopes for a second act. On the latest episode of Pleasure Town. My people treat it every day as a holiday. Drink at dawn, dance till dusk, laugh and sing to keep the tears inside. What could capture their attention long enough to take hold? The answer, turns out, <laughs> was pretty damn simple. The only way to stop running from your past is to turn and to face it. The feast of the wretched. Join the story now at wbez.org slash pleasure town. Who is the... What is going to be... When... Where, where do I... Why is it... How many... What is the... What? <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to Curious City. I'm Odette Youssef, WBEZ's Northside Bureau reporter. I moved to Chicago four years ago to a place just a few blocks from the magnificent Uptown Theater. I remember seeing it and wondering, wow, wouldn't it be something to see a show there? But it's been closed for more than 30 years. So I was happy to see this question about it in Curious City's database. My name is Farihel Wajid, and I asked Curious City how we can repurpose the Uptown Theater for people today. Fariha wanted to hear what outside-the-box ideas the Uptown community has. But before we get to the theater's future, it helps to know a little about its history. The Uptown opened August 18, 1925. The program that day began with Tchaikovsky's Capriccio Italien. It ended with a silent film, The Lady Who Lied. The Uptown was the fifth in the Balabin and Katz chain of entertainment houses. By far, it was their most ambitious. The marquee outside proclaimed the theater an acre of seats in a magic city. At that time, an acre of seats told you that there would be a seat for you. Andy Pierce is with Friends of the Uptown Theater. That's a volunteer group dedicated to preserving the Uptown. Pierce says even when competing sources of entertainment were few... Filling the Uptown was a challenge. At 4,381 seats, it was over 500 seats larger than downtown's Chicago theater. So its owners had to get creative. A typical program included an organ performance, orchestral interlude, live dance, comedy show, and movie. Balaban and Katz also came up with the idea of continuous performance where the program would continue to play and revolve and audiences would come and go according to their schedule. For matinees, the theater offered tea service. Eventually that stopped, but high-quality acts kept coming through. Duke Ellington, Benny Goodman, Bing Crosby all played there. But as more people bought TVs in the 50s, the Uptown struggled to gain audiences. Would you like to be queen for a day? For a time, the popular game show Queen for a Day filmed there with live audiences. The theater even showcased occasional screenings of Bears football games. But by the 70s, the single-screen model was dead. 
Audiences wanted more choices when they went to the movies. 1975 marked the final push for major musical acts at the Uptown. The stage hosted Bruce Springsteen, Prince, The Grateful Dead. But the theater's palatial interior was crumbling and became too expensive to maintain. The final concert there was the Jay Giles Band. The Uptown closed in 1981. It's still standing because it's a historic landmark. Crowds of music lovers still flock to the neighborhood, but for other venues like the Riviera and the Aragon. Our question asker, Fariha Wajid, didn't stumble on it until recently, thanks to a homework assignment. So during my architectural studio course last semester, I was assigned the Uptown neighborhood, and the Uptown theater kept coming up. Fariha's studying architecture at the Illinois Institute of Technology. She put together her own proposal to reuse the Uptown after some research. I met Fariha outside the theater to hear about it. I saw it becoming a skill-sharing center, kind of like a community center, where anyone could teach any skill that they had to other people in the community, and anyone could learn any other skill that they had in the community as well. Skills like cooking, painting, or theater. Fariha said her design preserves the theater for performances, but the three lobbies, the smoking room, the children's nursery, those leave a lot of space for other activities that could happen throughout the day. We also asked people walking by for their ideas. Cinema or a, a movie house. I would love to see, you know, a winter farmer's market here. Concerts, movies, art. Keeping it as a theater of some sort, a movie theater, maybe still like a concert venue, something like that. We also solicited ideas online, and you can see them all at wbez.org slash Curious City. One person suggested turning the theater into a parking garage. Another proposed an indoor paintball park. But by far the most popular ideas were to restore the Uptown for live events or turn it into a movie house for classics, foreign, and indie films. Lots of people suggested modeling it after Lakeview's Music Box Theater. But Dave Jennings says that might not be practical. The Uptown is over five times the size of our main auditorium. Jennings is general manager of the Music Box. I wish that I could say that today every screening that we have is sold out. But if you come to the Music Box on a Tuesday afternoon... You might be one of a handful of people in the 750-seat auditorium. Jennings says a handful of audience members won't cover the cost of lighting and heating and ventilating the enormous space of the Uptown Theater. That's why Andy Pierce from Friends of the Uptown says we need to get creative. You start thinking about how could you zone it where you use different areas for different uses at different times. That way you're only at full operating capacity on days where there's a large ticketed event booked for the stage. On days that you don't have that stage booked, you could use any of the three lobbies for other activities, such as meetings, parties, private events, weddings. Of course, the person whose ideas matter most is Jerry Michelson of Jam Productions. He owns the Uptown, but he didn't want to talk to us for this story. After hearing so many ideas, I checked back with Fariha to see if her design might change. I didn't really see how much people really wanted the theater itself to be just a theater. They want it to be back to what it was before. So I feel like I should uh, emphasize more like what its original use was, but also have these other elements that play on the side. By some estimates, it'll take 70 to $100 million to restore and reopen the uptown. The state recently allocated $10 million 
and the city has funneled a little more than $1 million in TIF dollars. Mayor Rahm Emanuel has said he wants the Uptown to someday anchor a vibrant entertainment district. As we near the Uptown's 90th anniversary next year, lots of folks hope they'll be able to walk into that grand lobby soon and maybe catch a show. Saturday night at the movies, who cares what picture you see? When you're hooking with your baby, let's roll in the balcony. Hey, I'm Jennifer Brandel with another Curious City question. This one's about the Chicago International Film Festival, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. You've probably spotted the logo around town. It's a set of sad, sensuous eyes with black eyeliner and shadow, set against a white background with film sprocket holes on the left. John Laffler wanted to know, whose eyes are those? And is she single? We brought Laffler together with Michael Kutza, who founded the Chicago International Film Festival and also designed its logo. Here's an excerpt from that interview. For years, I've lived in Chicago, and I've always seen the icon for the film festival just never really understood whose eyes they are because they're so catching. They're so seductive and, and nuanced. So you want you want the answer to this, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. Let me tell you some some funny things before I give you that answer. One year we had um, Liza Minnelli. We were doing an event with her, and she said, hmm. isn't that great? And you've got my eyes on the poster. I said, no, it's not your eyes. <laughs> oh, I used to work at the Venice Film Festival and do things, and I had some of our stuff there. And Charlie Chaplin was alive, and he says, you're using my eyes. I said, it's not you. But it really goes back much, much further. The logo was never that until about 1967. When I first designed the festival and the logo, it was very simplistic. It was the globe of the world and the word Chicago National Film Festival wrapped around it. And it went that way for the first year. I said, you know, our festival, we've got to get people to come to it and it's got to be made sexier. We need something... But throughout this whole period of time, my mentor and the lady that helped me start the film festival was a a silent film star named Colleen Moore. And she moved to Chicago. She was in the 20s the most successful comedian in film, silent film. She was part of the D.W. Griffith and Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford era. And here she is retired in Chicago. And she helped me with the first film festival and introduced me to some amazing people that were her buddies in the old days. So you had the Myrna Loys, the Joan Crawford. They're all hanging out with this lady, Colleen Moore, here in Chicago. And I get to meet them all. And they're all iconic. And they all have a face. And they're all of that same era. And Colleen herself looked like where I was going with the logo, which happened in 1967 which basically is a combination of all of these women of an era. They all had the eyes. They all had the hair. They all had the same look. But when you put them together and you take the eye, the hair, and the this, you come up with the symbol. And by putting sprockets on one side, it wasn't a piece of film. It was something that didn't really exist, but it was symbolic. The thing that always strikes me about it is there's so much emotion. And I I find myself projecting a lot onto the image. So I guess what I'm curious is, is what does it mean to you when you look at her eyes? Because they're just so visually striking. Yes, they're, they're not about to cry. Oh, no. No, no. They're, no. they're, 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 they're and, wide. They're, yeah, they're wide open and uh, they're seductive, you know, to draw you into her and the film. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for asking the question to bring us all together here. As for John's other question, is the woman whose eyes are in that logo single? Sorry, John. Silent film star Colleen Moore passed away in 1988. 
Our Uptown Theater story was reported by Odette Youssef. The interview with John Laffler and Michael Kutza was conducted by Allison Cuddy. I'm Jennifer Brandel. We've got lots more about both of these stories online at wbez.org slash curiouscity. You can see archival photos of the Uptown Theater, read other suggestions for how it can be repurposed, and see earlier versions of the Chicago International Film Festival's logos. Curious City is produced by Jennifer Brandel, that's me, WBEZ, and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism.